0: This is the AMA Los Angeles Podcast.
1: Welcome to the AMA Los Angeles Podcast. I'm Joel Metzger, and today's show is a live panel at General Assembly in Santa Monica. L.A. Chapter President Phil Repentish is moderating an all-star lineup who will introduce themselves. So let's join the panel already in progress.
2: Um, I'm going to ask each speaker um, one at a time to do their bio, 30-second uh, bio, and then I'm going to ask a, a quick question. So, um, Joanne, 30-second bio.
0: Hello, <laughs> hi everybody. I'm Joanne Wong. I'm EVP uh, of marketing at the Los Angeles Football Club. Uh, since our team is much newer than all these guys up here, it um, probably takes worth two seconds to explain it. Um, we're MLS's newest team in Los Angeles, building a brand new stadium in the heart of LA, and um, the site of the former sports arena, so next to Memorial Coliseum. We start our season in uh, March of 2018. Really excited to be here. i um, really excited for what we're building. In terms of my own personal bio, I've been at LAFC for about a year and a half. Um, Heading up uh, marketing, PR, communications, digital, community relations. We're a bit of a startup team right now, so a lot of, uh, a lot of us are wearing different hats. Um, prior to LAFC, I was at a startup called Oink. It was uh, essentially like a PayPal for kids, so have experience in the startup world, and then um, was at Activision for a good chunk of my career, uh, working on a bunch of the brands, including uh, Tony Hawk. Great. So. <laughs> Thank you. And we, have two, we and have two LAFC folks up here in the front row, Natalia and Jamie. Ooh, so you got to represent. The, ask them all the questions. <laughs>
2: so my first question is for Joanne. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the branding decision to use LA football club versus LA soccer? I mean, right off the bat, sports analogy, um, it seems like LAFC was thinking of global branding, not necessarily um, US or even LA, by using football club and not soccer.
0: That's, that's exactly exactly the reason, Um, you know, I think when we first started, and some of that predated me, so just to be clear, but, um, you know, obviously have insight in terms of talking to folks about it, and I think, um, you know, when you have a a club that you've started, but no team and no players and no stadium yet, you know, it's really important to understand what you stand for and what you want to stand for as you kind of build up everything that goes around it. And so, um, you know, right at the outset, decision was made to articulate what our club promise or, you know, another industries, you call it a brand promise, what it is. And it's really to unite the world's game through the world city and have that global approach. And obviously, LA is an amazing place where people come from either live here or visit, and it's very global. So that's exactly right. You know, there were a lot of decisions made around or a lot of discussions around what to name the club. But um, we chose to do football club as it's more of more utilized around the world as well as here.
2: Perfect. Tyrone, quick bio and your title. Thanks, Bob. Uh, thank you guys
1: for having me. Appreciate it. Uh, Tyrone Conda, I'm with the Los Angeles Lakers. Uh, if you guys need some background in the Lakers, I'm happy to give you some. Um, <laughs> been with the team for 10 years now. I've done just about everything you can think of with the team. Ticketing, marketing, sponsorship activation. Moved over to the sales side uh, a couple years ago now. Um, really enjoyed it. i um, L.A. through and through, so I went to school here, born and raised here, so... Uh, it's kind of a surreal experience to uh, have a championship ring with my name on it i still can't believe i actually have that um so yeah i mean that's in a nutshell i sell sponsorships
2: for the lakers so tyrone um the lakers as we all know is a sports legacy team when you're seeking or being pitched for sponsorships is there a base criteria that you're looking for
1: yeah it's um you know the brands have to fit um, you know, we, we've been approached by uh, certain types of brands and certain types of categories and it's not something, you know, I'm sure you guys are all familiar with the bus family or might be familiar with the bus family and the origins of the team and our ownership group and it's really, people laugh, but we really are a family organization. Um, and so, not to go off the rails here, but we've been approached by a company like Viagra, you know, asking for sponsorship. And our ownership team said, no, that's not something we're going to do. It doesn't fit with the brand values. Um, you know, we, once you get into the weeds of, of talking about terms and, and investment level, that's, that's kind of a separate conversation, but from a 30,000-foot from a level, we have to make sure that the brands kind of match up and that they both, we both have the same type of ideals and the same values, because that really does make a difference. In the long run, when you, are, you, know, when you sign a, a three, five, sometimes seven-year partnership, you want to make sure that you're, the marriage that you're in, entering into is somebody, with somebody or a brand that shares those same values with you, so that's definitely a key component to it. Excellent, thank you. Mike?
3: Thank you. Um, Mike O'Keefe, I'm Vice President of Corporate Partnerships for the Los Angeles Rams. Um, from St. Louis, made the move. Um, so my, my 20th year with the club. So uh, while it was tough in many ways to leave St. Louis, uh, it's exciting for the Rams to be home. So really, uh, just it's an awesome opportunity to be here and very fortunate to be in the, the role that I'm in. So um, like Joanne said, uh, it, really we fancy ourselves as a startup as well so we are sort of we have roots here obviously a lot of people grew up with us um philip you're not the only one with the packers hat around that's one of the problems that we have so um so we we have it's going to take us some time to, to earn the fans uh nfl fans specifically so that's one of the things that makes the league unique is that people uh fandom and and they don't just jump off the bandwagon so because the rams haven't been around for for, for a long time, even though we played here 49 years before we moved to St. Louis doesn't mean that those people were gonna wait um, for us to come back so 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 we're, we're excited the opportunity that we have in front of us and um, like Tyrone I sell sponsorship for the Los Angeles Rams
2: So Mike, so how did returning to Los Angeles affect? sponsorships? I mean, I'm assuming you lost some when you moved from um, St. Louis, but I'm also assuming that you gained some opportunities by being back in Los Angeles.
3: Right. So that, it's a great question. So in St. Louis, the elephant in the room was we, we, we were trying to leave the market for several years. And so we actually had a clause in our deals that as soon as the Edward Jones Dome uh, lease was uh, null and void, all partnerships were torn up. So we, we came out here with a complete blank slate, which in many ways is a very, very unique situation to be in from a partnership standpoint. So we carried no relationships out here with us. We had to start fresh um, from the ground up, which was a daunting task. And I, look, I think back to a year ago, we were still, many of us were flying back and forth uh, to St. Louis. And oh, by the way, we left you know a lot of our staff there. So we, we were working on kind of a shell uh, staff. So just having to start from the ground up was a challenge for us, but, um, but it was a completely, um, new situation and we all we knew we didn't have the staff to go out and do a whole bunch of deals so we said let's just let's let's um, you know to Tyrone's point let's find the right partners align ourselves with the right brands and and just do a smaller number of deals and go deeper with them so that was really our strategy for first year
2: Jonathan
4: hey guys how are you Uh, thanks for having me here tonight Um, I've been with uh, the LA Kings and AG sports for 15 years um, had the opportunity through my time there to work with you know, assets like the LA Galaxy, LA Kings, Amgen Tour of California, our cycling race, Staple Center, StubHub Center when it was called the Home Depot Center when it launched many, many years ago with a big track and field event. So boxing, etc. cetera. So um, had the great opportunity to work on some really fun, exciting projects. I spend the majority of my time uh, on the LA Kings, our hockey team here. And uh, I oversee business development and brand strategy for for the Kings.
2: So Jonathan, you you had uh, an umbrella position for a little while. So I'm curious from that different view that as opposed to just, you know, doing sponsorships for the Kings now from a more to start out with an umbrella position when you were seeking relationships or sponsorships, did you have a base criteria for what you were looking for from that different perspective?
4: Yeah, you know, and you know, I think, Obviously, you know, with with AEG and, and the assets we have here, you know, we've got the great opportunity to work on marquee brands and marquee properties here uh, in the marketplace. So, you know, the, the real sort of leverage and opportunity is sort of cross-pollinating partners. When you look at LA Live, you know, their partners from the LA Live side into the Staples Center side into the King side, so you're able to leverage that scale and those sort of you know marquee assets, um, and then also different teams, different events, had different flavors, different demographics, you were also able to pinpoint the right partnerships to highlight those different assets. So I think it was a great sort of mix between you know, honing in on the brand's identity and finding the right mix there and also the ability to sort of cross-pollinate across these you know, pretty large-scale assets. Aaron?
5: How are you? Thanks for
4: having us tonight. Uh, Aaron
5: LaValle, VP of Digital Strategy and Analytics uh, for the LA Kings and AG Sports. So, just like Jonathan, uh, JLo, I'm not used to calling Jonathan uh, <laughs> JLo. <laughs> He's had it first. He had it first. <laughs>
2: um,
5: uh, my story uh, Buffalo, Boston, New York City, Phoenix, Oakland, San Francisco, LA. Uh, but I've been with uh, AG and the LA Kings for about eight years. Uh, came up through CRM, email marketing, worked my way into uh, analytics from uh, my background's initially statistics, so made obviously the smooth transition there, uh, work in ticket operations, work in IT, um, loyalty marketing, have kind of put uh, my footprint on a lot of things that have worked and a lot of things that haven't worked. So. Um, but I'm your resident data nerd up here, so
2: for those that are interested, that's what I'm here for. Well, I have a question for you, sir. So you were quoted in a 2015 Forbes article about uh, changing sales strategies after the Kings um, won the Stanley Cup, go Kings go. Uh, And the article stated that you used Adobe Analytics. Can you talk a little bit about that decision? And has anything changed since then? First, I'm surprised anybody actually read that article. Uh, I do my research, sir. I do my research.
5: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Two, I read it too. yeah, I mean, I think a lot of things change. You know, when when you when we went from going to a team that was very very niche in LA, we had eight thousand extremely passionate fans that no matter what, they were going to be here. And when we started winning, all of a sudden, you're talking about eighteen thousand and filling out the stadium. And we've fortunately been sold out ever since. Now you're starting to get a ton more and more fans, so I think one of the things we looked at with uh, you know, formerly Neo Lane, now uh, Adobe Campaign, is the multi-channel marketing aspect and really getting into how do we message to different types of fans. The season ticket member who's been here for 10 years, 15 years, they need to be talked to a little bit differently. We, we're not teaching them hockey. They know hockey, and they're actually insulted if we're like, hey, here's Hockey 101. Here's how to shoot a stick. Here's the rules. Um, But there are a lot of new fans that love the energy, the excitement, the passion in the game. And you do have to teach them, what's icing? Why is this stopping right now? Why are they fighting? It's really cool, but I don't know why they're fighting. Um, But uh, it it is, and you really have to think about it. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's prototypical marketing. You look at your different clients and you have to attack them from a segmented approach. And, and that's the way we kind of approached it back then. And, you know, we are definitely coming off the highs now, three years with one playoff win. Knock on wood, we have still have a shot, but not very good. Um, but, uh, you know, we're, we're in a different state again. And so it's the ebbs and flows of, of being in sport. You're going to have good years. You're going to have down years. And how do you keep them engaged and really create lifelong fans? And I think a tool like Adobe Campaign was really, really important for allowing us to message in different ways to different people.
2: Excellent. So I'm going to open that up to the panel now um, in terms of, you know, data and analytics. How does that affect your organization? So um, whoever wants to take a, a crack at it. Does that mean I should start again? <laughs> I, it's, it's growing
5: more and more. Uh, you know, when, when we, I started in 2009 uh, s- solely with the Kings, uh, and I was the only one in data analytics. We have, across all of our organizations, probably 12 people now. Um, you know, so talk about the growth and the importance, and really developing the infrastructure. And you know, it starts with ticketing. Ticketing is what drives our business, but then it gets into sponsorship. Then you get into marketing. You get into different types of advertising. You get into merchandise. And really, it touches the business in a variety of ways. And I think once you show one quick win for your organization, it just, you know, snowballs from there and and, and goes down. And I know that, uh, Tyrone, we were talking earlier about a lane that works for the Lakers and is finding the same thing. Like, you know, once, once you start teaching people who haven't had data about what it can do and how it can help your business, how it can improve efficiencies, drive revenues, it, it really kind of goes from there.
0: I think um, for us at LAFC, that what's been great and daunting is the fact we're building it all from the ground up. So, in terms of kind of tech, tech infrastructure and data analytics, a benefit is, you know, we have the ability to not have to integrate legacy systems into it. I mean, on the, so that's the positive. I think, you know, on the just, it's also our opportunity to totally mess it up if we don't do it right. So really we've put a lot of um, focus on that. And, you know, we have a, a mix of folks with uh, various backgrounds. Like my, I come from more, I guess, startup and video games were digital and digital is absolutely a key part of it. Um, and especially you know, when we started to start our deposit campaign and we didn't have an existing, really any kind of identifiable existing database to pull from. I think that kind of enabled us to tap into you know, more user acquisition, quote unquote, strategies as well as um, partner with databases. But yeah, it's a key part. We see it's an absolute benefit to what we're doing. And uh, eventually when we have a big enough fan base, be able to really hopefully segment um, and then also, it's nice because as we build up the stadium infrastructure, and you guys too, partly um, you guys to the nth degree. But as we build out the stadium infrastructure and integrate the um, all the kind of the tech in there, we want to try and have it talk to on the you know either lead gen or marketing side, have it kind of work end to end. So we'll see. That's the goal. That's the that's what we're trying to do. But.
1: Um, so for us, it's been. Quite the ride. Uh, when I first started in the sponsorship team with the Lakers, we just had Scarborough. Is anybody here familiar with Scarborough? Um, so it was, It's they're a great tool. We still use them, but they put out data twice a year, and you just kind of take that as gospel, and you ran with it. Uh, what we're able to do now, and it's still kind of in its infancy, but we're able to take uh, some real-time data and develop, you know, from a sponsorship and marketing side, and actually do as real-time as you could get promotional type content. Uh, whether it's, you know, there, there's what we're trying to get to is collecting data on the attending attendees for that night and creating some sort of messaging for them what they're while they're at the arena. So if we know somebody's going to a game at five o'clock in the afternoon or six o'clock when the doors open, we have something pre-prepared to message them as they walk in through the door. So um, again, we started with Scarborough and it was like this old archaic, not to downplay what they do and they, what they provide, but it's come a long way. And I know from a business side, uh, Aaron mentioned Elaine, who is kind of our, our you know, czar when it comes down to data and analytics. And she literally, if she's not meeting with our ticketing folks, she's meeting with our marketing folks, she's meeting with our PR folks, she's meeting with uh, basketball operations. She's meeting with everybody that every single department. Uh, I think that just goes to show how you know The the breakdown of the data because having it is one thing knowing what to do and what it means is another um, and I'll be honest with you. I don't think we have fully figured out how to use it yet I think that's kind of it's kind of the force You know, you, you don't know how to use it yet until it works for you and something clicks um, But that's kind of what we're trying to figure out and uh, we're confident that we'll get there in about 20 years so
4: And just to add one thing, too, you know, Aaron and I have worked, you know, hand in hand since the beginning, not just because he's a great guy and I like him, um, (laughs) but because, you know, we realized early on the power of analytics and data and driving our decisions, you know, and in my 15 years, the vast majority, I was overseeing our marketing, and uh, ultimately, at the end of the day, You want to reach your fans in the most cost-effective way. And and you've mentioned it, Philip, in terms of the passion fans have. You want to give them what they want. And how do you know that if you don't ask? And uh, so much from the surveys, even in driving decisions like giveaways. Well, hey, we can think of the coolest ideas in the world for a giveaway, but if our fans don't want it or haven't said they wanted it, why give it to them? They like certain things. We have the data to make those decisions. And the other thing is, When you talk about marketing and sales and everything, there's a creative side to it, and that's great. But when you come and you're pitching your COO or CEO, and I don't care if you're in sports or any other business, and they've asked you why you're making a recommendation or a decision, and you say, well, it's my gut, or I think this is gonna be great. It's a lot more powerful, and you can inspire a lot more confidence if you can back that decision up with data and metrics and analytics. So we're always seeking that backup to inform our most creative ideas because it gives you confidence and you can justify some of the strategic decisions you make. And I would
3: just say uh, for the Rams, primarily on the ticketing side, um, it's of the utmost importance to us because starting from, the, from ground zero again, um, on that front, just figuring out who our customers are and just um, starting with you know a preference center of just simple things like how do they want to be communicated with, how do they prefer for us to talk to them. And so before we can really dig deeper into some of the things like Jonathan just mentioned first, just establishing a line of communication with them. So um, that's been important for us. Um, Another piece of it, unrelated, um, is just we didn't know who our fans were out here or who they would be, and so we're still waiting on a lot of information on that. And from there, it starts to give give you a baseline of where we need to go, finding more of those fans, and then just, you know, simple – not simple things, but metrics like the stadium signage, how that's looked at, how that's being picked up um, at the Coliseum, and how we're delivering that to our partners, and just the various ways we're being measured on social media – um, you know having lost a, a big base of our, our Twitter and Facebook with the move obviously with the st Louis people dropping off but to have new people jumping on so runs the gamut But like everything else it, it's a blank slate for us that we're, we're building
2: So um, just talking about modern sports marketing now um, Are there differences between in-season campaigns and off-season sustainment campaigns? Um, is it true that there is no off-season anymore? And are you hiring? Yeah,
3: I would say for the Rams. So obviously, no off season, but you know the NFL has done a great job of leveraging these uh, natural points of excitement. So you have you know the combine, the draft, uh, which gets into OTAs, mini camps, then preseason, then the season, and then with the season, there's a whole just slew of activation platforms. Everything from military appreciation, um, uh, crucial catch, uh, Thanksgiving, which is the whole football is family campaign, and so. Um, for us uh, that just gives us an opportunity to localize all that And so you, you have a whole a full calendar year of, of natural excitement points And so you have a chance to localize that activate with your fans activate with your partners And so um, that's where our offseason goes is just really juggling all of that
5: Yeah, I mean, I think it's the the season's execution the off season's planning and strategy I mean, you still have to find ways to, to keep them engaged. So the drafts, uh, you know, we have an expansion draft this year, the schedule release, um, and, and finding anything that can kind of engage your fans. How can you engage them in the current playoffs if you're not in it? Um, you know, when, when we won in 2014, we had all this content that we could roll with. And I think now's the time where we have to challenge ourselves. What type? How do we keep our fans engaged through the offseason? Sometimes it's going to be through King's uh, information. And a lot of times when we put that out there, they're like, well, you guys still suck so I don't really care um, so you have to get creative and you have to be a little different so you know in, in this offseason it's gonna be a little more difficult for us um, there's but there's gonna be a lot of conversation about what's the changes the roster gonna be like and really finding ways to tell that story telling the story about why they should be excited for next year I know in football um, when I worked for the Raiders uh, the analogy was once the Super Bowl is over you're zero and zero you're just like everybody else so it's it's nice and the new seasons right there so
4: one thing too, and I think you know, with the advent of social and digital and mobile, number one, we have that direct channel to connect with fans. So beyond just figuring out what the content is, I think you know the rise in, in social, not only in sports, but in but in all industries has allowed us that vehicle to communicate with fans. And then you talk about well, what do you create and how do you keep that narrative and storyline in the off season? One of the things that we've done, you know, as a company and a team is invested in our content and our production group. So I mean we have, you know, a very robust staff that year-round is thinking of creating content and whether it's video, you know, short form, long form, snippets, they're constantly trying to come up with content that, number one, fits into the narrative of the season, but also has to do with stuff totally independent of the season, fitness. We have you know, a whole fitness channel. We've got Black and White, a show which is sort of a you know, 24-7 behind-the-scenes show. And they're creating storylines that surround what's happening on the ice, but are independent of that. So we've got a content group always thinking about ways to produce content to keep them engaged. And I think that sets you up well when you're not in the playoffs, or when you're not in season.
0: I think for us at <laughs> for us at LAFC, we've essentially been in like a preseason for. Um, it'll probably be a couple years. You know, we launched our crest and colors January 2016, so that's when we first even had some kind of identity. Um, so it's been exactly to echo what JLo has said. Um, it's been it's really thinking about what our What our narrative is, we have absolutely there's a narrative that follows us throughout these couple years. It's very different from when we're in season with players, but it's thinking about how to make the most and really kind of squeezing the the most of the stories and the content and engagement out of every single thing. So for us, it was things like um, our Crest and Colors launch and then we had a um, groundbreaking, we had a foundation event where we had folks come and sign a piece of the stadium that will be embedded and similar to I'm sure you guys too, but um, It's actually for us been a real great opportunity to not have yet the players and so for and we really believe in what we say when we're building this together with our our fans and supporters and the people of Los Angeles. So it's been it's been awesome because it's been really great and it's been a chance for kind of everyone in our organization to understand what the power of a great narrative great video content clear um, vision for what a story what it can do you know in the meantime as we start to build up the fan base.
1: So for us, it's it's literally been a 180 since I first started. Um, we, it was always kind of to our chagrin, brands would come to us and say, what can you guys do for us October through April? And it was like that for, for a few years. Now, we can't have a conversation without somebody throwing out 365. If I hear that term again, I'm gonna shoot myself in the head. How can we turn this into a 365 partnership? And the reason for that, this kind of goes back to the, the point about analytics is, from a brand side, they have to go back into jlo 's point sorry that 's going to stick now no,
3: no, no, yeah that is
1: what it is. Um, you know they also have to go back to their decision makers and say, this is why the data shows that this investment level is worth it for the Lakers and the kings and the Rams or so and so, so they have to be able to justify that on their end, so you know, five six years ago, when we were pushing brands to go out and activate in the community in the middle of summer during our off season or to do something through our social media platforms now you know teams or brands are coming to us kind of knocking our door down saying how can we turn this into a full again a 365 type partnership so i think the data and having that data has really forced brands to think about a partnership um kind of a a more robust, thorough, comprehensive partnership as opposed to just kind of, oh, this is a niche sports thing for us. It's really evolved uh, to what it is now. And that's, you know, January 1st to December 31st and you do it all over again.
2: Okay, so um, I want to zero in a little bit on messaging. You know, we, we've touched on a little bit that uh, sports fans are opinionated. So how does that, we, and we, we touched on a little bit, but I want to circle back to it. How does that affect messaging? And within that, what, how do you deploy your social media strategies for each specific platform? What are you using, how do you use it, and why?
1: So for us, there is there is a you know we're we're lucky and blessed to have a, a good solid robust following. Um, our new media team is this is obviously their holy grail. So we figuratively always get into fights with them about the stuff we can and can't do. So while we curse them while they're not in the room, we also understand that they're, they safeguard those platforms and those channels because we can't our fans are are pretty smart. You know, they know that if, <clears throat> excuse me, that if we tell them to buy a Toyota at 2.4%, it's not something that they want to hear or it's not something that they want to be a part of. Uh, if we tell them that one of our players is uh, joining up with Toyota to help feed kill, uh, children in the middle of downtown Los Angeles, that's something that really resonates with them. So our, our team is very, very protective uh, of our, our platforms. Um, and I think that's that's really, obviously, the brand strength from a global perspective, that, that obviously helps. But the fact that that um, our group is very protective and very mindful of the fan experience, because I mean, you guys, I'm sure would agree, the fan experience extends to well beyond just the arena. It's it's how you communicate. Uh, you don't want to patronize fans uh, because they, they'll see right through it. So, being able to stay, stay as authentic as
4: possible is kind of the the key to what we do from a social standpoint. I, I can add a little bit to that. You know. For the Kings, if you guys know or you may not know, we've you know made a lot of waves and controversy with our with our social media, in particular our Twitter handle. So you guys can you can Google it all afterwards. But um, you know we got a, we got a really amazing team, and I'm going to brag on them because they're their own group, and they're not here. And you know, a guy by the name of Pat Donahue and his whole team had really started, this is before the Stanley, our first Stanley Cup in 2012, where we were really a challenger brand, we were the underdogs, we'd been in the market a long time, we were, you know, never won a Stanley Cup, and we had decided to take a very, you know, we call it authentic, but a very, you know, fun, playful attitude with our social media, where most teams at the time were just sending out scores and stats, and everything that you could see on the ice or on the field, we were regurgitating that. and. The reason people follow social media is because they want to connect with that team, they want to connect with that brand, that player, but you have to have an identity. You have to have a voice. And we were one of the first teams to really have a voice and be brave enough to make fun of ourselves and the other team, and you know, we, we made some waves, we, we took some risks, but it, but it garnered us a lot of really amazing followers, following, and, and buzz, and you know, just an example, you know, one year we, we get knocked out of the playoffs, and I think it was the Western Conference Finals that year, and we tweet another team, I think Pittsburgh, that just got knocked out and said, hey guys, you wanna grab a drink later? I mean, most teams would never make fun of themselves getting knocked out of the playoffs, and you know, what, this was our first run in 2012 when, um, you know, all the celebrities were sort of getting on board, but LA was just becoming that bandwagon market, and Conan O'Brien tweets us at us because we were playing the Phoenix Coyotes, and I'm gonna paraphrase it, but basically like, hey, LA Kings, you know, I wonder which city that shouldn't have a hockey team is gonna win, you know? And we, write instead of just sort of turtling and writing back, well, he had just got kicked off prime time, so we wrote back, hey, Conan, that was clearly a joke not made for prime time, so... Again, that, that was having most sports teams at the time would never have the audacity to do that, and we took that risk because you know we, we wanted to, to take a stand and I think fans sort of love that, and we followed that voice and that narrative now after winning two championships. you sort of have to take a different tone when you 're not the underdog, but we still maintain that, that identity. The other one thing i 'll say real quick, and i 'm not going to capitalize too much more is you know you talk about you know engaging fans and I think the most powerful marketing is when you take your fans' passion and you articulate that through your platforms, uh, whether it's in your marketing campaign, through your social, because what the fans feel about the team and their love and sort of spreading that is way more authentic and a lot of times more powerful than any catchphrase we could think about for our own team because you're the fan, you breathe it, you love it. So, So many of our marketing campaigns involved our fans in it and our fans quotes, because again, how do you harness the true power of sports? It's you guys, it's your passion. So if you can key in on that and amplify that, that's where I think the most powerful marketing in sports comes from.
0: Yeah, I think um, for us at LAFC, especially, (laughs) especially in early 2016, I mean, literally our social media accounts were the only presence we had essentially to the world. So we were very careful um, Maybe overly careful, but you know, I think the downside is uh, worse than the upside at that point. So, pretty careful about understanding, you know, at least what our perspective was. And and for us, since our look and feel and whatnot is, um, and our aesthetic is kind of a key part of our club and our brand, especially on our Instagram account. You know, we took some pains to really think about how we wanted to represent ourselves there and uh, invested in it. Um, and you know, it's a fun stat that we share sometimes is that we've. You know, we are, we surpassed, I mean, it's still a small base, you know, but we've surpassed four um, 4 live, like, MLS teams who are actually playing. So, you know, we're we are proud of that. You know, you got to get your victories. But I think um, it really has been important to try and uh, involve the fans, like Jonathan said, because that's, right now, they're the star. Yeah, J-Lo said. Um, they're the star for us right now, absolutely. So, big part of our, what we did.
3: And I would say at the Rams, we've really tried to use social media as a tool uh, as we re-enter the marketplace. So use it to help our fans in the city of Los Angeles get to know our players uh, and who they are off the field. So we, we have a, a show called Rams Nation that really humanizes them, shows what their interests are. So making that into vignettes and then using our social media to kind of push that out Um, and then having some fun with partners as well. So Coach McVeigh, a lot of people don't know him yet. So um, Hyundai is one of our homecoming partners and uh, Coach McVeigh has been driving one of our uh, one of the Genesis vehicles in our team fleet. So we're we're thinking about putting together a um, morning drive with Coach where we use a GoPro and he's he's asked about certain team um, events or what's going on or happenings and. Just kind of use it as a Q&A and let people actually, um, you know, tweet in questions to him. So uh, some cool things like that. But uh, again, just just knowing that we, we're, we're new to town, using it as a way to just reach out and, and hopefully um, let people get to know us and get to know who our players are.
2: Okay, I want to move on to influencers for a minute.
1: Um, we will pick up the discussion again with influencers on the next segment of the AMA Los Angeles podcast. Be sure to subscribe and thanks for listening.
0: You've been listening to the AMA Los Angeles Podcast. For more information on the American Marketing Association's Los Angeles chapter and to find out about upcoming events, follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. This podcast was produced by
2: Joel Metzger and
0: Ice Box Logic. <laughs>